0: This. This. this is the Dental Experience Podcast. Here's your host,
1: Ryan Vett. Happy New Year and welcome to Season 2 of the Dental Experience Podcast. I'm so excited to have with me today a very special guest that is going to help me kick off the new year and help all of you kick off the new year right and this new season. Welcome, Dr. Chris Salerno.
0: Hey, Ryan. What's up?
1: Not much. Chris, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. First of all, you've got a lot of experience in the dental industry. You're the chief editor at Dental Economics. You're also the Chief Development Officer at Celerant Consulting Group. But in addition to all of that, you're still a practicing dentist. So you've got your hands in a lot and you're well-versed in the the clinical side, the business side, the education side. And I'm really excited to kick off this new year right with having you on the show.
0: Thanks, man. Glad to be here. I I have mastered my attention deficiency disorder so I can do uh, lots of different things and just to keep my attention going.
1: Well, there you go. And I think one of those things that you do a lot is you read a lot. And I love that. Uh, you don't just read all the articles that, that make it into the Dental Economics Magazine, but you read a lot of books in business. And you know as well as I do that there's a lot of books out there that are uh, – not very helpful when it comes to uh, business. They're just kind of they just ramble and they're they're not exciting. They don't give you any wisdom. And so today to kick off the show and to kick off this new year and this new season, you've come with some of your favorite books that are going to help people both personally and professionally be the best that they can be in their practice for their patients and for their team. Is that correct? That's
0: right. Yeah. I I, all joking aside, I really do have ADD. And uh, as most of you, I'm sure know, when you when you deal with that as a challenge. Your attention span is quite limited. And uh, reading uh, dense, boring business books would definitely be a significant challenge. So um, if I'm if I'm able to make it through these books, it's because they're actually really interesting. Um, I, well, I put down yeah. the ones that are boring immediately.
1: Before we get into your actual list, how, how do you decide if a book is a great book, uh, okay book or a bad book? Is there like a, a litmus test that you use that says, hey, this is this is how I determine that this book is excellent.
0: Well, I, I would firmly believe that, that. I mean, technically, there's no bad books, right? If you get something meaningful out of out of a book, then then it's worthwhile. Um, that being said, there are a lot of books that are derivative. They're just taking some of the same advice that you've heard time and time again, and just repackaging it with some clever titles and metaphors or something like that. Um, so for me, I, you know. I'm looking for books that inspire me as an entrepreneur, um, which is a term that's way too overused these days, but someone that just has a hunger to, to grow and, and to start businesses. Um, I look for books that can help solve problems that I know I have or present to me problems I didn't realize I had. Um, you know, I'm looking for really practical lessons. It's the same kind of thing I bring whenever I'm looking at articles for dental economics. If I read an article and I'm like, well, that was nice and all, but I learned nothing, then it needs to go back, uh, back to the author or in this case, back to the shelf at, uh, at the bookstore. Um, I'm looking for something I can definitely take away or be inspired by.
1: That's good. What type of book reader are you? Do you have a Kindle or you read them on iBooks or do you have Audible? What, where, or do you like the paper? You like to smell that paper right off the press. I want to smell like? that
0: paper. I do have some books on uh, a Kindle app on my iPad and I do read some books that way. But honestly, the way I get the most out of, um, out of my reading experience is to have a physical book and I have my trusty red pen. So I will underline my favorite passages, write notes in the sideline, star, you know, box, circle, all that kind of stuff. That for me, is in my learning, helps me a great deal. Um, and then if, I just like having a physical book there that I can grab. If it's all just lost on my app somewhere, it's harder for me to reference. And that's, that's the key thing here is I don't pretend to be able to just absorb everything the first time I read it, certainly not. So to have these books handy for me to grab and, and reference is important. And if I have my notes in there, it makes it a lot easier.
1: Absolutely. Well, let's dive into your list. It's a great way to start a year. And if you don't have, uh, listeners, if you don't have your reading list already for this year, these books that Chris is about to share are definitely worth putting on your list. And we'll make sure that there's a link to each one of them in the show notes. So Chris, go ahead and kick us off with uh, your, the first book you want to bring up today.
0: Well, let's go back to the year 2008, At this point, I was an associate dentist. I was thinking about starting my own practice for myself because I didn't have an opportunity to to buy into an existing one that was attractive. So I started my journey thinking about business. Um, It had scared me up to that point and I was really just focused on dentistry. So the very first books I was doing were actually uh, mostly audio books on my long commutes. And one that uh, I would definitely recommend, and it's it's a famous one, is Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. That's a famous example, and i I'm probably a lot of the audience are familiar, at least familiar with it. And there's a whole host of books that have spawned from there, um, you, you know, investing guides and all that kind of stuff. But the very the, the original original book, um, and I again I did it as an audio book, was one of the first things that just helped me understand. The different types of pathways I had as a dentist. So there's so much we could have three episodes just discussing any one of these books. But but I think one of the takeaway lessons for me was what uh, what the author Kiyosaki ta- describes as the cash flow quadrant. And uh, what you can just Google cash flow quadrant, rich dad, poor dad, and you'll you'll see uh, better explanations than than what I'm giving now. But as a dentist, it's funny. We go to dental school, we graduate, and we think to ourselves, well, great, now, now I just make money, you know, and I'm going to work for someone else. And then at some point, I will be a business owner. I'll own my own practice, and money will just happen, and that will be great. But this book really breaks down into the cash flow quadrant. There's four sections of, of earning money. There's the first quadrant, which is the employee, which is what we are when we're an associate. And some of us earn our entire life as, as associates, either full-time or part-time, we're, we're always working for someone else. And it's nice to get that paycheck up front um, and not have some of the other stresses that come along with, with the other quadrants. But right. um, you know, the, the, of course the, the, the earning potential is, is generally quite decreased and we're, you know, all the other hassles of having to work for someone else and not being your own boss. Um, then the next Evolution is a self employee which most dentists aren't really self-truly self-employed in the sense that they, you know, they do have other people that will work along with them. But in this case, what they mean is if you're the sole producer in your practice, uh, let's take your hygienist out of the equation. If you're the sole dentist in your practice, uh, that's great. You have independence, but um, you know, if you get disabled or whatever, uh, you know what happens to your business now? Right. Um, also your earning potential is somewhat capped because it's limited to just how busy you can be. And the next evolution is what they would call a business owner. And yes, if you're a solo practitioner, technically you own a business, but I think how this best applies to dentists is to think of being a business owner that now employs other dentists in particular. And once you have an associate or a partner or whatever, um, now you have moved into another stage of evolution of your earning potential for a lot of obvious reasons. You're not just limited to what you can produce. You now have systems to support uh, and patient base to support another dentist or, or more. And then the final section is the investor, right? Where you make your money work for you. So this doesn't just mean, you, you know, you give your, your uh, finance coordinator some, some money and they invest it for you. That's all great and necessary too. Retirement, yeah, that's all fine. What I think they're really talking about is when you're able to buy other businesses as investments or buy real estate as an investment, uh, in addition to what you're earning as a dentist – and now you don't have to, or you know, either you don't have to be there, or your involvement is relatively minimal, and you can just let these other businesses, these other investments, work for you. That is a, a Cliff Notes version of the cash flow quadrant. But I remember hearing this as as a young associate, and just being like, "Oh, right! Like just because I have no, DDS after my name doesn't mean riches come
1: my way," you know? Right, right. I think one of the interesting things Kiyosaki says in that book, and you touched on it, he mentions it when he talks about the business owner's quadrant or the third quadrant, and it's the idea of systems. And I think most people are in a system. And I know I've heard you lecture before you talk about how important systems are in a dental practice because it makes you that much more profitable and it gets you to that next phase, that that investor phase. So I think that's one of the key takeaways that I, I like from that particular quadrant in, in the book from Kiyosaki.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I had no doubt you were familiar with that book. Uh, it, it's, it's very readable or listenable in my case, um, very conversational. And there's a bunch of other great lessons in there that just help you think differently about money and about your opportunities in, in the, over the course of your career to, to take great care of patients, but also realize some freedoms for yourself.
1: Absolutely. Well, that's a great book. Highly recommend it as does Chris. Chris, what's next on your list?
0: Okay, so I'm only going chronologically. There is a slight order to this. Uh, chronologically, the next big book that shook my world, and it's it's a real great uh, uh, launching uh, direction from the from the one I just mentioned, is of course Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Workweek. This was another one that I did on a long drive upstate New York to a New York State Dental meeting. Threw that in my entrepreneurial dreams where had been. Have been uh, this, the seeds have been planted from Kiyosaki, so now I want to just pick up this four-hour work week thing. It's a totally bold title. Who works four hours a week? It's
1: it made every employer angry.
0: Yeah, so I'm like, all right, let me just see what this is about. Uh, great audible book. I have since gone back and 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 read it uh, uh, just because I got so many lessons out of it. But this this book really changed my life, and and that is a I I don't say that often. There's very few books I can say that. Like the 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 heavens opened up and a light shone down on my face and I said, "Oh my God, this makes so much sense." So, uh, Tim Ferriss, of course, has become a a very big name and he's written many more books, podcasts, shows, all that stuff. He's he's a he's a great personality now. But his original book that got him started was kind of building on some of those principles of of realizing that freedom. Is just as important of a resource as is money. That that's uh, he doesn't state it so so clearly as that, but that's one of the, the major lessons I took away. There is so much in this book. I mean, everything from uh, how to vacation on a budget, you know, to uh, if you're gonna if you're a, a parent and you want to take off, you know, travel around the world for six months. How to keep your kids' education going and and to talk to their schools about letting them get out so you can go on a on a boat sailing across the world. I mean, there's, there's really crazy inspiring stuff in there, but what, what really inspired me was the idea that, um, you know, I'm, we're only on this planet for so long. And at this time as an associate, I had started to think, you know, as I'm working five, six days a week, drill a bill fill. I'm like, I don't, I, I just feel like there's more I want to do in my life and I want to see the world and I don't want to just take, you know, the one week vacation a year and then retire at 65 and then start right. seeing the world, which unfortunately so many uh, folks do. This introduced uh, the concept to me, one of the many concepts I introduced of having these mini retirements, being able to take three weeks off at a time or or a month off at a time or, or whatever, and to structure your business so that you're able to do that. Make your business one run really well without you. So right, that, right. You know, the, the, the where the, the title comes from is the idea that you have a business or two or three that are running. So this is more in that business owner slash investor stages of the quadrant to use rich dad, poor dad terminology. But the idea that you know you can be on your you know tropical island somewhere and four hours a week you check your email and and make a couple of calls and then you're done back to sipping margaritas while your business is run for you. Now that's an extreme concept, and that's not necessarily what what I think uh, even Ferris will agree is, is not what he's recommending everyone can do. That's just the that's the idea.
1: That's the catchy that's the title, the catchy title yeah.
0: and that's the ideal. That's something to, to theoretically strive for. But what what I took away from that was again, realizing those other, those last two quadrants of, of rich dad, poor dad saying, yeah, if I have even a business partner like I do, or, 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 uh, or, associates that are able to do work in the practice with me, not there. Yeah. I'll make less money if I'm not the one that's physically producing that dentistry. Right. But so freaking what, like I'll happily make a little less money from my practice if it now gives me so much more time to earn incomes in other ways and to go travel the world exactly. and enjoy my life. And there's nothing right. wrong with that. And, and that's, that's kind of the, what, what Ferris is getting to is have, have a few small businesses that each generate some passive income for you, meaning you're not actively there drilling, billing and filling, and then you'll be able to enjoy your life.
1: And I think a big part of what he talks about is the idea, and he doesn't say this directly, but it's the idea of significance over success. Are you enjoying everything that you've done or are you just, like you said, drilling and filling and moving on? So I think that it's just a, it puts a different perspective on freedom of work in in addition to the daily. Yeah. And
0: not just chasing, you know, every billable procedure. Um, I, 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 it's important to, to be good and and fastidious on, on your numbers and all that. But, um, I, so I right now practice two or three days a week. I practice Mondays, Wednesdays, and then some Saturdays and I, I love it. I absolutely love doing clinical dentistry those two or three days a week the rest of my week, I'm not just sitting around, you know, playing video games. I'm, I'm, I'm actually now working for dental economics. Of course, um, I'm a, a consultant and chief dental officer for seller, which is an industry consulting uh, group, you know, looking at investors and potential new technologies. I'm doing some of the, the, my favorite things that I never even dreamed were possible, nor were taught in dental school. And I'm, from each one of these, these avenues. And of course I I travel and get to do a lot of lecturing, which is one of my absolute favorite things. So from all of those, those different opportunities, they're financially rewarding, which is great, but I'm able to, you know, I'm, I'm able to just enjoy my life and, and make, make some money here and there, you know, and, and, and it all comes together with me having, enjoying great freedom and, and, and earning money while I'm doing it. And that's, That's just so radically different than practicing five or six days a week like I was in 2008 or so when I first picked up this
1: book. Absolutely. Well, that's a great book. Highly recommend it. Again, that link will be in our show notes. Chris, what's your next book that you have?
0: Okay. Uh, Next one is a cautionary tale, and this is uh, especially important for dentists. It's called The Millionaire Next Door. Love
1: that book. By,
0: I think, Stanley and and Danco, I think, are the, the authors there. Uh, do you know that one I
1: do I, and i like his second book too i don't know if it's on your list uh today oh i
0: haven't read that one what's the name of that stop one stop
1: acting so rich
0: i love it uh just from the title alone i'm sure it's it's building on a lot of the concepts they talk it about
1: is there. it makes it more practical but go ahead i, I love this book well,
0: it's a great book and i think that um dentists are extremely guilty of of this so the the concept is um you know some we're brought up to think, and maybe it's it's leftover baby boomer thinking from our, our parents' generation or something, but we're brought up to think, you know, you go to college, you get a nice job. Uh, if you have a high paying job, then you you get a nicer car and you get a nicer home and you take fancier vacations. And what, what ultimately can happen to so many folks is the more money you make, the more money you spend. And there are people that are, let's call them, Rich, but they're not wealthy, right? Right, and again, this is all what I love about is all building on some of the concepts we've already been been discussing. So I'm, I'm I may be mentioning something that isn't expressly said in, in in this book, but it ties in really well as a as a parallel lesson in the others. You know, the idea is that there are you know blue collar folks with blue collar traditionally quote unquote blue collar jobs that are very wealthy. They are plumbers. They are, you know, uh, uh, carpenters that run a business or, or whatever it is. And think about it. They, first of all, they went. They, they may or may not have gone to college, In uh, in many cases not, but they actually got paid to learn their skill in an right. apprenticeship, right? Uh, and then started making money in their early 20s while we're actually going more and more into debt to learn our craft, right? Exactly. Well, if they're smart, and, and many of them are, they then start their own their own business around their trade and then maybe go and expand into other verticals so they're let's say an electrician and then they add in other f- types of construction work and what you know then they 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 so they're accumulating some wealth the big key differentiator here though is not just that they get a head start compared to say dentists and lawyers and other doctors but that as a dentist, you f- may feel this pressure to say, well, I have to join the country club and I need to, I'm a doctor. I have to drive a BMW. And that's just stupid. The the the, 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 the more blue collar folks that we're talking about oftentimes do not feel that pressure. And so they're not wasting the money that they're making on things that don't matter. Right. They're investing in other businesses. A, a very good friend of mine who's a dentist, his wife's, Father, I think is a. I think by trade he was a. He was a, again a plumber or something like that. Started a business, took that money, went and took the additional money and went into investing in real estate. Now owns a bunch of, of rental properties that are earning him in passive income. So he's in that I quadrant, that last cash flow quadrant. He's doing great. He still has his 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 you know traditional businesses. But at no point early on was this guy just wasting money on boats and country club memberships and golf packages and stuff that, that he didn't feel the pressure to have to invest in because his circle of friends and family didn't care about that stuff. Exactly. So dentists fall, fall victim to this. Now, the story I always tell is my, is, uh, my one friend, every time, every like three years or so, uh, when my lease comes up for my car, uh, I drive a Honda Accord uh, I, it's fine. I don't care about cars. So that's what I drive. It's a fine automobile. Now, he has driven over the years a Maserati, a Range Rover. He's also a dentist, and good for him. He loves cars, so that's great. But there, that pressure that we feel from our friends and family is very real. Every three years, when my lease comes up, he'll say to me, "Oh, you got to up your game. You got to get a get a get a Beamer at least, you know." And I'm like. No, I don't. I will happily drive my two hundred dollar a month Honda Accord, and meanwhile, he's driving right, a well, Range Rover with a dollars a month, a month. <laughs> a lease payment. The way I look at it is, I get paid eight hundred dollars a month to not drive a Range Rover. Exactly. You know, so so th- that's the gist of, of that book. Uh, there, there's there's many more great lessons. I, I definitely want to check out the sequel, but it's it's the the message the take home for me is, Hey, wake up dentist. You don't have to just spend your money on things you don't care about. Enjoy your life. You don't have to live like a hermit. If you really love BMWs and then sure, get a BMW, but don't carry that mentality around with you that where you just have to buy the most expensive things to keep up with the Joneses.
1: Right. I think it's a a valuable lesson personally, probably more than professionally, but it obviously carries over into your practice in some other areas. So that that's great. Well, well, what uh, you definitely need to check out the sequel. That's your 2019 you go. reading goal. Uh, but what what other books do you have on the list? This has been a great conversation so far. I'm enjoying it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I probably spent a little more time talking about the first few because that's really you know foundational and changing mindsets. Uh, some of the other ones here are, are going to be a bit uh, faster to discuss. There's just some more specific pearls here. So uh, one I recommend. Uh, this has been presented me for a long time. Is the E Myth. Uh, now out is the E-Myth Revisited, right? So uh, the, uh, the E-Myth is about, it, it relates to the entrepreneurial myth. Uh, this by, uh, the book is by Michael Gerber, by the way, very popular business book now. I was reluctant to read it. Uh, I thought E-Myth, they were talking about electronic business or something. And then I, 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 a very successful oral surgeon uh, told me, hey, you know, this is, this is worth checking out. So the, in a nutshell, this is all just preparing foundationally for a dentist that's about to go into business or go into more businesses. The, the And I'll read a quote here. The fatal assumption is if you understand the technical work of a business, that you then understand a business that does technical work. What that means hmm, is just because you understand how to do clinical dentistry doesn't mean you know how to run a dental practice business. Those are completely separate things, right? And I, I think many dentists are pain, painfully aware of that. But the, there's really a few different roles that the, that the dentist has or any business owner has to, has to consider. Has to, there's three hats you have to wear. One is the entrepreneur, one is the manager, and one is the technician. The entrepreneur is the, the visionary, the one that has these great ideas and five-year plans and, and here's how I want this practice to look like. We need that spirit and that fire to grow. The second hat to, that we have to wear is the manager is actually overseeing the day-to-day uh, systems and making sure people are held accountable and the finances that's critically important too. And then finally the technician, right? So as, and that's very appropriate for dentists, we have to be there doing great clinical dentistry, right? So to do all three is really a challenge. And I think too, too many dentists really focus on the technician role And then assume everything else will just sort itself out. But to the technician dentist out there, which is the majority of us, it's worth thinking, oh, yes, I need a good manager, which we can often delegate to to an office manager in, in many cases. But we also need to remember that entrepreneur hat. We need to think, well, here's where we've been how do we want to grow where do what kind of practice do we want to be so on and so forth
1: I think that's really important I think a lot of people uh, aren't necessarily visionary and this doesn't have to do with the EMS in particular but they just get stuck doing what they've always been doing which goes back to the very first book is you get stuck in your quadrant and you don't look for those ways to expand and you can't have that life where you have the vacations that you see in uh, the four-hour work week so I do think the, this book definitely applies to some of the other principles you've you've talked about that um, entrepreneurial and visionary uh, aspect is often lacking from a lot of dental practices until something goes wrong and that's when they're like oh I need to think about the right. future
0: that's absolutely right. Uh, so there's way more lessons that come out of EmIth, myth but um, that's, a, I think, a good reference for, for what you might look to get out of there. My next book is, is really like a three-way tie. I think it's critical for all uh, business owners and, and dentist practice owners to have some basic understanding of, of accounting and finance. And I know it's really boring and it's stuff that I never wanted to pay attention to. But there are a few books that really clarify things so you can start to have more intelligent conversations with your CPA. The one that um, I loved again, with my with my ADD, that was just short and sweet, is called uh, Finance Basics, and it's from the uh, Harvard Business Review Press. Their twenty minute manager series. So this is a very small, digestible kind of pocket manual, and there's a lot more detail than than we would ever need to know. But there's an excellent. Um, overview of the income income statement and the balance sheet. Now, the income statement, the profit and loss uh, statement, the and That's that's arguably the most important financial document that we should be familiar with. And this does a good job of, of discussing how your accountant might present that to you. The balance sheet is also important, but it's more for uh, businesses that are about to go through a transition to look at, you know, what, what their, their assets are. There are two other major accounting statements, financial statements that you really don't have, you can just kind of skip that part, Um, but there's great, uh, it's just a very easily accessible read. I'm giving this spot to a three-way tie, so these three books are going to count as one. Um, I also would recommend Small Business Financial Management Kit for Dummies. I love the For Dummies books. They're fantastic. I have several of them on a variety of topics. And this, too, uh, goes through a little more in-depth, um, some of those basic financial statements. And just the section alone on on the profit and loss, the income statement, I think, is critical. Um, there is a book I just picked up, but I haven't read it yet. So this is a recommendation with an asterisk, uh, but a book called Finance for Non-Financial Managers by Gene Siciliano. I think that's how you pronounce it. And uh, it also looks like a really... I just picked it up the other day, and it's it's a, it a, a very fun uh, dive into, this, again, the same kind of topics, but it's broken up really well, lots of visuals. So if you're really struggling with making this stuff entertaining, I would recommend that one.
1: And I think knowing your numbers is so important. We had a guest last season on, Dave Monahan that talked all about the importance of how Microsoft grew their business while he was there based on knowing the numbers and then identifying problems and not just identifying them and pointing them out, but having solutions for those problems. And I think... It's critical in your business to take the time to learn a little bit. You don't have to be an expert, but know enough to have an intelligible conversation with your CPA, uh, with your accounting firm. So that way you can really understand what's going on in your practice at a a level that actually is dollar and cents and can have a big impact. Um, We also talked last season about embezzlement and that that idea. And if you don't have a good grasp on how your financial books work and how your statements work, uh, you never know what's going on in your practice. Uh, more than half of all practices at some point usually get money taken from them. So I mean, if you're not if you're not in tune with your financial statements and, and the different type of uh, just accounting and all that, I think uh, you could be in, in deep water with with your practice. So I think Dang these are great you, books, Chris. You.
0: Okay, I got a I got a real big one next. Now this was recommended to me uh, from Dr. Hassan Halwani, who's a pediatric dentist in Saudi Arabia. He turned me on to this, uh, this book. It's absolutely fantastic. This was another heavens opened up kind of thing. It's called business model generation written by, um, Osterwalder. This book came out in 2010, relatively new book. And it's, I would put it into the category of, of management models. This is a, uh, a way to think about and analyze a business. This book, is my new favorite uh, and I, i've been doing a lot of lecture material based upon uh based upon it so the concept is this so now you have the foundations as an entrepreneur you realize what you're off you know what, what how to think about your business as a as an entrepreneur a manager and a technician um, you want to grow your practice uh, you, you have some financial basics okay the next step is to in my opinion is to start thinking about the vision for your practice too many dentists just hang up their shingle. And it's usually, a say, a typical general dentist that says, you know, family cosmetic and implant dentistry or something like that. And we open our doors, we put out some marketing material, and we just, you know, look for success to happen. And there are many practices that can do just fine with that. But in this day and age, as we're seeing increased competition, more dentists coming out into the field, I think it's very, and more savvy marketing for those, those practices, I think it's critically important for dentists to think about, their, their business as serving a few specific segments of the population. So I will happily treat whoever walks in my door, but that's not who I'm targeting my business. And I don't just mean in terms of marketing. I mean overall how I'm targeting my business. So if you're at home, if you're in front of a, a, a computer, Google the business model canvas and look under the images and you'll see this beautiful uh, chart, if you will, and, uh, and, and the different elements that go into creating a, bi- a, a solid business plan that will distinguish you from other dentists around. And we don't have time to go through the whole exercise, but essentially you start by thinking of your target demographic. In my case, let's say it's, um, it's uh, uh, seniors with ill-fitting dentures. It's um, busy business people that work in my area. And the third one would be say, uh, patients with sleep apnea. So those are like, say the three segments of my, my potential patient population that I really love treating. I feel like I can do profitable dentistry for them. I'm happy to provide those services and they're, they're unique. I I will treat kids if they come in the door reluctantly, but that's not who, who I'm gearing my whole practice for. So <laughs> Once you you put those identify those segments, there's then you go through the rest of the canvas exercise. You realize what you can offer them that's unique that that makes sense for them. And the example I always give, and I think you saw me give uh, do this talk when we were at the Principles of Practice Management Conference this summer. I, I I think I went into the business model canvas a little bit.
1: Yes. Yep. You
0: know the idea behind treating say the busy business people. Well, what do they want? It's not just creating marketing literature for them. It's also saying, well, they want flexible business hours. They want me to be on their their plan, right? Uh, their their PPO. Um, they want to have an environment that is professional looking. And and when they walk in it has like a spa or feel or something like that, right. They don't want to walk in and step over like children's toys. Right. So, you know, you start to get a, a vision for the infrastructure of your business, of the aesthetics of your practice, of the marketing materials. And as you go through that canvas exercise, all these other elements start to drop into place and you have now a powerhouse business that is appealing to a few different segments in particular and welcoming many others, but you're, you're really laser focused and trained w- with your team on, on how to appeal and attract more uh, and successfully treat certain patients.
1: Yeah, I use the same uh, business model canvas actually for a company I was consulting with outside of dentistry, uh, a nine, just shy of nine figure company, a really large company, several hundred employees, and they hadn't seen it written out like that. And I think even putting some of these ideas down uh, on a easy to digest format that's very structured, but also gives you the ability to make decisions off off of a framework. I I think it's such a a valuable tool. People don't take the time to write down what's in their head. I think a lot of time when you do that, it kind of goes back to the the dental or medical school model. You learn, you do it, and then you teach someone else because when you teach someone else, you actually learn more about what you just did. I think it's kind of the same thing with the, this business model canvas.
0: Absolutely. I think it's a great exercise to go through if you're a dentist who has an established practice and you feel like you're just kind of lost and not growing. You just flatline or even are a little down uh, in terms of revenue. This is a great exercise, and I recommend you do it with your your team or at least even the highest levels of your team, depending on how big it is. But you, you, there's a whole process using post-it notes where you can go through this and you together think strategically about about your business. It's a lot more exciting than traditional business plans where you look at a blank Microsoft yes. Word document <laughs> and you know start writing
1: and vision statements, like, uh, kinds uh, of boring stuff. Yes, and it's a good team building activity.
0: Absolutely. What I have found too, again, I'm I'm, I'm a, a consultant and, and CDO with with Sellerin Consulting Group when we evaluate dental. Uh, businesses. Again, we're not consultants for for practices. When we evaluate technology and 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 help uh, industry leaders with their businesses, I'm always running at least the first few steps of the business model canvas in my brain. I'm always just thinking, who is this for? Why should they care? Why is it different than the other products that are out there? So it's not just a me too. Um, that that kind of uh, cycle, even just the first few steps of it, is is a great little thing to have running in our minds as we make business decisions. So, for example, when my office manager comes to me and says, "Oh, hey, um, you know, I just got contacted from our uh, local uh, high school. Uh, we can buy a banner for fifty dollars and and advertise our practice to them," I run through the ca- canvas in my head in, in in five seconds and say, "No, remember, we're not appealing to soccer moms. No. <laughs> like, we're not appealing to kids." So easy decision, right? No, I know it's only $50, but that fi- that's $50. I'd rather spend on something that actually targets our specific patient groups.
1: That's, that's a great framework. And I highly, highly recommend the book as well. So thanks for bringing that one onto the show, Chris. I, I know we've got a couple more left. How many more do we have? left? I've got two, one,
0: three? two, three, four books. We're going to make it an even 10. These are quick ones.
1: An even 10. Okay. Let's fly, we'll fly through them. Go for it. Yeah,
0: these are quick ones. Dentistry's Business Secrets. Here we have a specific dental book. This was written by Ed Logan. This is what you're looking for. All of the, the goods on how to neg- deal with PPOs and what the terminology means and the different cost structures. This is a, a, a very specific book uh, to, to dentists on how to have pr- practice success. I can't recommend that one enough. Next for the uh, complete operational nerds that are out there, this is the book that informed all of my thoughts on systems, uh, which uh, Ryan saw me lecture on at the PPM, DE PPM conference. And it's called Kaizen, The Key to Japan's Competitive Success by Ima, I-M-A-I. This goes into way more detail than you could possibly need, but it presents the concept of the Japanese philosophy of operations, of systems. And the the idea is that you are continuously incrementally improving your business rather than just every once in a while spending a ton of money on something. And maybe it's adopted by your team and maybe it's not. This is a far superior strategy to growing your practice. Last two. Uh, These are more high concept. So I, uh, I do think that we are in the midst of what some would call the third industrial revolution. Dentistry is changing constantly. Our, our, uh, our, our, we're witnessing, I think, um, a major shift in how dentists can earn an income and how, what our relationships are with our patients. And if you're looking for a book that is way ahead of its time in capturing some of the, the new rules of the game, I recommend the book called The Third Industrial Revolution by Jeremy Rifkin. Uh, you can watch a bunch of YouTube videos by, by Jeremy Rifkin. He is a fascinating, very intelligent individual. And, uh, you know, there, there are. I've written about this a few times in DE and, and, and online. There are jobs that are going to just disappear. And I don't think dentistry is one of them. But we need to be very smart in realizing how technology, new communication, new sources of energy and transportation are all combining uh, and creating new opportunities and new challenges for us. Yeah, that's a fun one. Finally, because I can't help myself, I was a former philosophy major, uh, a book called Critical Thinking, A Concise Guide by Tracy Bowell and Gary Kemp. Um, I, uh, I think it's very important for dentists and everyone out there to be good critical thinkers. And uh, this is not just a philosophy book. There is uh, an excellent chapter that summarizes something that we all should be very familiar with, and that is rhetorical ploys and fallacies. There are many times that we hear an idea or an argument from a patient, and you say, hmm, that, that makes sense, but I know it's wrong for some reason. And if you can familiarize yourself with Logical, logical fallacies and uh, rhetorical ploys. This will help you become uh, really annoying at cocktail parties so you can point out why your friends are wrong. Uh, you'll be able to identify <laughs> the manipulations that happen in marketing and in political campaigns. This will give you a sound foundation for reasoning as you make decisions. This isn't just to be a better dentist. This is just to be a a better citizen on this planet.
1: Well, that's excellent. And I have to know, how did you go from philosophy to dentistry?
0: So I was a bio major and a philosophy major. Um, I just always was interested in philosophy. And you know what's funny? Uh, I use my philosophy degree more than my biology education on a daily basis without question. I'm not walking around thanking the stars that I know how a mitochondria works, but I am appreciating (laughs) critical thinking skills, evaluating, uh, arguments from patients or from businesses that I'm evaluating. Um, it, that's my philosophy training comes in handy a heck of a lot more, but, um, you can't pay the bills so well as a, uh, as a philosopher. A dentist is a little bit easier.
1: That's true. That's true. Well, Chris, I really appreciate you kicking off Season 2 and this new year here in 2019 with 10 wonderful books that I encourage everyone to read this year. And I definitely think that I've picked up a few that I have not yet read that I'm going to definitely check out. And then uh, some that it, it's just always good to go back and remind yourself of the principles. So, Chris, I want to thank you for your time um, here what are some ways that the listeners could get in touch with you? I know you write a lot for dental economics in addition to being the, the chief editor, uh, which is a great magazine. Highly recommend it. You can also uh, go to the Principles of Practice Management Conference, which is also a great conference. But what are some other ways people can get in touch with you, hear your lecture, uh, and all of that?
0: Yeah, so I have a, a brand called The Curious Dentist. A lot of my lecture material is available on my blog for free uh, if you just Google that um, a great, the, probably the best way to keep in touch with me and reach out to me, uh, it, today is, is, uh, on my Instagram, which is the underscore curious underscore dentist. Um, that I, I post a lot of updates on lecture material and stuff there. And, um, I highly recommend anyone to join the principles of practice management, private Facebook group. Just, uh, just search for that on in, in your Facebook and you'll you'll uh, privately find a lot of great discussions that uh, Dennis and industry leaders are having about the issues we're facing in DD.
1: Well, that's fantastic. Chris, I really thank you for your time and your insight in reading all these books and putting them in uh, spark notes for, for the listeners and hopefully it will inspire them to go read more. I want to thank you all for listening to the very first episode of season two. Happy New Year once again. I hope your year's off to a great start and I'm excited to uh, continue this season with you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Dental Experience
1: Podcast. For show notes, to
0: ask a question, or for more information, visit www.thedentalpodcast.com. The ideas discussed during this episode are the opinions of the participants and do not serve as legal, financial, or clinical advice. Until next time, this is the Dental Experience Podcast.